This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can get in queue by calling 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your questions, concerns, or comments. Brian Kroc will be answering the phone, so all he needs is your name and where you're calling from. Very easy. And, by the way, thanks for having me on your show. You can give a call. We can talk about plant selection, plants for sale right now. How about planting things this time of year? Uh, you can do it. I mean, you could. I mean, there's nothing wrong with doing it. It just means extra care on your part. So if you're planning on going on vacation for two weeks, don't buy something and plant it because unless you got somebody very reliable to help, because that transition is going to be very, very tough. So the caring for ups and downs all around annuals. How about transplanting annuals? Well, I keep moving plants around because I want to see how well they're going to transition. So in this last week or so, I'm not a real fan of petunias, but this year I decided to get some petunias. I've transplanted them the last time was probably two weeks ago, right as the weather was getting super dry and everything else. Now they haven't done too bad. Also, uh, sweet alyssum is one of my favorites. The white one has a great fragrance. The purple one, I've transplanted that a couple times. So I just move stuff around to see how well they're going to transplant. So I just kind of torture plants. How about the bulbs? The cannas are looking great. The elephant ears that I have are looking great as well. Edibles, realize that you know when you have tomatoes, if they start losing a lot of flowers without a lot of fruit set, that means you've been inconsistent with your watering. Tomatoes almost constantly need moisture and food as well. And use tomato food because it has a calcium that prevents some of the fruit diseases that tomatoes can get. Your ground covers, your house plants, how are they doing? I went, I walked by a house the other day and they'd set their, I think it was a palm tree out. And it was either that or Dracaena. I didn't look at it that close, but it was fried. So they had set it right out in full sun and just kind of left it there. And woo, I don't know if it's going to recover or not. How about your lawn, your zoysia grass? If you're cutting it too short and it's brown, that's because you're cutting it too short. Stop scalping your grass. Whether it's zoysia, summertime stuff, or whether it's a cool season stuff, fescues or bluegrasses, stop cutting your grass so short. The longer blades help shade the ground. It's going to be to the advantage of the plants just in general. It's, you know, the blades, this time of year, probably four inches or so. That's about, I might... See, I was trying to think. I think I have my mower blade set at like four and a half inches for my zoysia. Your roses, knockout report. I've got those four knockout roses. This time, last time, I I pruned three of the four back and let the other one go. It didn't seem to make much difference at all. The only difference was the next flush of flowers on the one I did not prune back was a little probably like a week later. So this time I'm not going to prune any of them. I'm not going to remove any dead flowers off the roses and just let them go 
and see what happens. And I am fertilizing them. With each flush, I do some rose food. Your vines, your trees, your water gardens, and all that other stuff. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember, again, my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered as an option. As I said before, Brian is producing today, and during the week, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. If you'd like for me to come to your home and take a look at things that you have concerned with or things that maybe you just don't know how to take care of, actually, tonight, not tonight, this afternoon, right after the show, I'm headed up to Florissant, actually north of Florissant, Florissant zip code, though. And what it is is some people designed a landscape for this couple, and they don't know how to take care of all the plants. So that's what I'm going to go and talk to them about. And so it could be, you know, aesthetic or problem solving. It doesn't matter. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage for my email address and phone number is listed. Give me a call or email me, and we can set up a time where I can come to your home. Now, special recognition for individual group or situation that has made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Today's tip of the trial goes out to the Missouri Botanical Garden. The Botanical Garden this upcoming week, on the 18th, lemon verbena. What they have is something called herbs and heirlooms, and each week— Through the summertime, they're focusing on one particular herb. And the first 150 participants that come to, you know, to do, let's say, learn about this particular herb, uh, they get a pot with this herb in it to take home with them. And they receive a plant profile as well. Now, personally, lemon verbena I like a lot. I have it between my garage and the alley. But it is extremely invasive and aggressive. It's kind of in the mint family group. So just realize that. So if you go for the lemon verbena, the foliage smells great. It has small kind of bluish white flowers on it. They're really spectacular. It does get quite woody. So realize that as well. So that's what the herbs and heirlooms on July 18th. And then on July 19th, the Whitaker Music Festival, that's a free outdoor concert uh, featuring uh, Kevin Bowers. And it's lawn seating, bring your chairs, a blanket, or whatever. And that's included with, uh, it's after 5 o'clock. So the music begins at 7.30. So free admission and late entry all the way up until, whoa, you don't want to go that late. Anyway, so it's a kind of, it's not near the front entrance. You're going to have to walk up near the, towards the Japanese garden in that area. But that's two things happening at the Botanical Garden. Also, all kinds of different plant materials, too, for plant societies. Dahlias. There's somebody very near me that grows dahlias, and it's a tuber type. There's annual type dahlias, and there's a tuber type dahlia, so a type of dahlia where you dig up the root and then you keep that root for the you know indoors or where it won't freeze for the winter time. So the Greater St. Louis Dahlia Society, that's something to consider because I mean they are spectacular flowers and they get huge. Also the daylilies. There's four different daylily societies. And the Lily Society, the Mid-America Regional Lily Society. Where can you find more information about all these different plant societies? Well, you can go to MissouriBotanicalGarden.org, and it will list all the plant societies. Many of them meet at the Botanical Garden grounds. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, if you have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Guess what? The weeds, 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 they're going to love it. I'm going to harp on this again. 
If you cut your grass too short, it's just a very good invitation to have a weed invasion. So stop, you know, and it's going to help you with weed control. It's going to help your your lawn and everything else. I mean, this dry spell has really fried some lawns. Recovery, everybody, oh, they'll come back. It'll come back. But is it going to come back as the lawn that you wanted or that you expected? Or is it going to just come back as something green? As I always say, my father, growing up in Ellisville, our big yard, if it was green, it was lawn. He didn't really care. That's, you know, his own personal preference. So I'm not saying you have to just listen to me. Let's go now to Afton, and that's where Pat lives. Hi, Pat. Good morning. Hello, Pat. Are you there? Yes, I am. Good morning. Go ahead. I have two questions for you. The first thing is, what is the best product to put on my grass to get rid of Bermuda grass? And then my second question is, I have a huge oak leaf hydrangea, beautiful, probably five feet tall at least by four feet wide, probably two feet in front of it, someone planted a um, dogwood tree. And I'm thinking about taking the dogwood tree out because it hides the hydrangea, but I don't know if that will affect the hydrangea. Do they both feed off of each other? Uh, Those are my questions. Two feet is awfully darn close for sure. Because, I mean, they can companion. When I worked at the well, Woodland Garden, at the Botanical Garden, we had trees, you know, and oak leaf hydrangeas fairly close together. Now, is this dogwood, is it relatively young? I, I have no, the person who lived here before us planted it. It's probably about 25 feet tall. Oh. The trunk is not very big. And right. I don't know if I were to take it off just and leave a short stalk and cover that up with mulch and stuff, would that be okay? Or should I just leave it? Because the hydrangea is beautiful. Right. I would say just leave it. Okay. As long as they're both healthy and, you you know, they're oh, yeah. both flowering yeah. and everything else, they've grown up together. So consequently, what's happened is their root systems have intertwined with each other, and that's not really, you know, much of a problem. As far as getting rid of the Bermuda grass, if you know you've got solid patches of it, just know that this is going to be an area that you're going to have to stay persistently consistent with for uh, several years to finally get rid of it entirely. So okay. I, I would say just go out in the area that's, you know, you know that's pure Bermuda, just go ahead and start applying Roundup to it to kill it off entirely. Now you're going to have big brown patches and everything else, and then do that now. And then mm-hmm. in mid to late August, go ahead, rake those areas, and try getting some grass seed with seed starter fertilizer and trying to f- infill those spots. Okay. So a product like Turfalon, Ester, or Beer makes a product for Bermuda grass because it's like intertwined between fescue and... Right. It's just kind of all over the place. I mean, you could try those. I would just, you know... I just like to, if I've got big solid patches of something, I'd rather just kill it all off than trying to okay. intertwine it with it. But you can certainly okay. get, you know, the th- there are products that are made specifically for Bermuda grass control that won't, you know, inf- impact anything else. But, I, you know, with our screwy weather and our screwy soils and everything else, you know, I'm a little concerned with that. But okay. if you want to go that route, there's nothing wrong with it. Is there a product that you like more than one other, another one, or? Basically, what I, because it's going to take several years to get it under control, I wouldn't consistently mm-hmm. use the same thing over and over. Okay. So choose one, use that one year, the next year uh-huh. use something else. Okay. Thank you very much. Yep. Good luck with Bye. that, and thanks for Bye. hanging on there, Pat. Pat was from Afton, 
And now let's go to Tony, and Tony lives in South St. Louis. Hi, Tony. Oh, good morning there, sir. Hey, I was wondering, I have uh, Celebrity and Better Boy tomato plants, and tomatoes just about get red, then they start cracking. What am I doing wrong? Are you using tomato fertilizer? I use a 510-5. No, get tomato fertilizer. One that says tomato right on the box. So this cat face or this cracking is a result of not having the exact nutrients to prevent that from happening. Also now, some of it is related to the heat and our weather and everything else. But just realize that there's a nutrient that's going to prevent that cracking. Okay, now my second question, I have... Cucumber beetles and aphids. I'm getting attacked and this year. And is there anything I can buy that will not hurt the honeybees? Because for some reason, I got a ton of honeybees this year, and I don't want to kill them off. Yeah, any insecticide can impact on the honeybees. Now, this, oh. probably the safest one would be using insecticidal soap. And realize that insecticides, basically, you got to spray it right onto the insect. So there's very little, you know, let's say residual effect by using an insecticidal soap. Okay. So, like, if I if I would spray up, like, a regular insecticide on there for vegetable and tomato plants or stuff like that, then the, the residual will, would kill the honeybee? It won't necessarily kill, but it could impact them. So... I mean, you just have to be really conscious because these honeybees are, you know, kind of on that margin of, you know, having a very, very rough time. And that's why just using something, you know, you might as well just try something very organic like the insecticidal soap. See if that's going to be effective and then just move on from that if you need to. Yeah, they're all over my honeybees are all over my basil and my mint. Wow, great. And and I mean, they're, they're all over this year. Wow. All right. I thank you very much, sir. Yep. Good luck with that. Again, it's called Safer's Insecticidal So S-A-F-E-R-S. Okay. Thank you. Yep. And let's see. We probably, let's try to get another call in. Betty from St. Charles. Betty, how are you? Hi. I only have one question. Okay. I have a row of four U's in the front of the house. Uh, Three look beautiful. One, it's about one-third of it is brown. And I don't know whether to cut that out or just get rid of the U. <laughs> well, if you like them all being the same size, which it kind of sounds like they are, if you get rid of that one U, then the new one that you bring in to infill this space is not going to be the same size. So right. what what part of the U is actually brown? The, um, the back third. So is that the back third that's next to your house? Yes. So uh, it's in front of the porch. Yeah. So what it is is that particular view, even if the other ones are having that same sort of impact, it's just not getting enough light on that backside. That's why it shut that off, and that's why they're turning brown. So do I cut it out? Yeah, you could try cutting it out and see what you know, see what you think. It may not, it may be ugly enough that you go, Ugh, but it may be yeah. okay, you know, where you. But don't expect any needles to come out of that area that was brown. Not not at all, not even during a new growth cycle? No, probably not. Oh, well, that's disappointing. (laughs) True. Okay, well, I think, what if I leave it as is, what'll happen? Well, the needles will finally fall off, and you just end up with some dead sticks. So either way I go, I'm going to have dead space. Yep. 
Okay. Well, thank you very much. Certainly. And then if you do start, you know, let's say replanting, push them further away from the house so you can get some sunlight on the backside. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Rick lives in St. Louis. Rick, how are you today? Oh, hi, Mike. Thanks hi. for taking my call. Sure. Um, I'm a novice when it comes to uh, you know gardening, but we just had some hydrangeas put in in our front yard and our backyard. And the ones in the back are in the shade, and they don't seem to wilt. But the ones in the front seem to be drooping. And I just wanted to know, how much water do hydrangeas need? And um, I, I don't know how much sun they're really supposed to have, but I'm, I'm more interested in the water situation with that. Oh. Okay, first of all, are they wilting in the morning? Um, it seems when I get home from work, they, they, they're sort of wilted a little bit. If they're wilted at that time of day, that's just a moisture conservation factor that many plants do. So in other words, what they do is they wilt... That closes the pores on the underside of the leaf. That, let's say, reduces the amount of moisture that they exhale. So plants really breathe, even though they don't breathe like we do. So as long as they're not wilted in the morning, you don't necessarily need to water them. If they are wilted in the morning, that says because overnight, they're, you know, regardless of the temperature, they're usually going to get rigid if everything's okay. But if they're wilted in the morning, that says over the night, things were as good as they could be, but we still don't have enough moisture on our root system, so that's the time to water. That's a good indicator of just what time of day. Wilted in the okay. morning, it needs water. Wilted in the heat of the day, don't worry about it. Okay, but, but like in this coming week when it's 100 degrees, I mean, how, how many... When, how much do you water them? How long have they been in the ground? About a month. Okay, so they probably should be watered about uh, every few days, to be honest with you, until, okay. you know, during when it's really, really super hot like that. So in other words, just t- I don't know how big they are or anything else, but just take like a two-gallon bucket of water and just pour it around on the, wa- on the root system. I'm assuming they do have some mulch around. Don't put any more mulch around them because mulch, adding mulch to it could create more heat and do more, let's say, less to the advantage of the plant and more damage to the plant. So that's okay. yeah, So, And the ones that are in the back, if they're the same varieties and everything else, I'm assuming it's a variety that can take sun, shade, and everything else, which there are plenty of those. So that's kind of what you're looking at. Uh, well, great. That, that, yeah, that's great information about the morning and the night. Thanks a lot. Yep. And that's for anybody, any kind of plants. I have some castor beans that I grew. They're castor bean seeds that I got from the old Bush Stadium. They used to have castor bean plants growing outside pretty near Stan Musial's statue at that time. So I gathered some seed. I'm still growing the same seeds, you know, generations. But I had some in a pot, and they were wilting down But in the heat of the day. So all I did is I waited till the next morning, looked at them. They were back up and fine. And then the following day, they were wilted in the heat of the day. But in the morning, they were wilted, so I knew I needed to water. Thanks, Rick. And now let's go to Richard. Richard is in Webster Groves. Hi, Richard. Thanks, Mike. Um, We have an apparent invasion of uh, insects that's uh, taking over the lawn. Last summer, we had a soil sample from a local establishment that diagnosed it as as insects, and uh, they prescribed a... uh, 
insecticide, but uh, it was not effective. And uh, I was wondering if you uh, could comment on the uh, problem and possibly recommend uh, uh, a a remedy. Uh, basically, insecticides. Uh, that's about the only th- you know. I mean, it's probably chinch bugs would be my guess on what it is because they can I do some real that, damage. That's what they identify. Yeah. So I mean, just go to your favorite garden center and find out which what they recommend for the chinch bugs and kind of go from that direction. Okay. You think we can uh, save the lawn because it's. Uh really spreading uh, everywhere. Yeah, because, I mean, get the insects under control as soon as you possibly can. The areas that are brown, you can just leave them alone, to be honest. I see. Because there's not going to be any bugs there. They they live on, let's say, green material. So mm-hmm. they're on more or less the perimeters. I so see. if you want to get, a, let's say, a bug be gone, a liquid thing, and just spray it on the perimeters to see if you can stop this invasion... Mm-hmm. You can, and then just wait until, you know, when, like it keeps saying, mid to late August to go back and overseed with a seed-starting fertilizer. But, uh, yeah, you've got a chinch bug circumstance, and they can be devastating to a lawn. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for your counsel. Sure, Appreciate thank it. you. Thank and, you. yeah, it's, you know, it is absolutely a nightmare because every year we never know what it's going to be. People always say, oh, it's just grub. So GrubX, you know, that may be effective depending upon what type it is for uh-huh. the chinch bugs, but it may not. So that's why you got to go to your, you know, go to your favorite garden center, ask them what they re- recommend for the chinch bug. All righty. Thank you. Yep. And Take care. Yeah, you too. Very much. And especially with the heat that's coming. Today's a perfect day, but tomorrow, who knows? Let's go now to Maryland Heights, and that's where Robin lives. Hi, Robin. Hi, Mike. I have a question about a big decorative grass that I have. Okay. It is huge, and it has now uh, gotten large enough that it is covering a part of my garden um, with too much shade. Is it too late in the season or too early in the season to maybe divide it at the bottom or just simply cut back the portion that is covering the other part of the garden in shade. Yeah, I would probably not, you know, dig it up and try to transplant it or chop part of it out. The part that's, you know, that's causing you the problems from the shade factor, I would just cut it back down to, like, I don't know, this may be pampas grass, this may be, I don't know what type of grass it actually is. It's, it's, it's not a pampas. It's, I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head, unfortunately. But it has beautiful lavender plumes at the end of the season, um, and it, it comes out uh, in a big spray. It's just enormous. Right. I can't, so um, I, I can was, I just cut the side of it? Yeah, I would. that's what I would do. Don't cut it all the way down. Cut it low enough so you can get the light into the areas, the sunlight into the areas that you want. But leave some of the blades because that's what helps keep the plant healthy. Nutrients right. and moisture come up from the root system. Then the blades or the leaves use sunlight to make food, and that's what keeps the clump. And then I would think not. I probably wouldn't do it going into wintertime, but the ornamental grasses do better if they're dug up, transplanted, divided, or whatever, sometime after, let's say, mid-March or something along that Mid- line. So I need to wait until after the winter. Yeah. Sometimes okay. you may be fine if we have a mild winter like we did last year. Wouldn't be a problem doing it. But sometimes to divide them or transplant them in the fall and we have a severe winter, they're goners. They are. Yeah. Okay. But I can 
cut some of it. If you're facing it, it looks like a big ball. Right. And if I just take a little bit off of one side, it should not affect it. Right. Aesthetically, it may, you know, you go, Ugh. Yes. <laughs> but beyond that, if you, the rest of your garden, you're more concerned with that. Obviously, the ornamental grass is a thing that goes, gets his All right. haircut. Thank, thank you so much. Certainly. Take care. Okay, you too. Mm-hmm. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. If you do have any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Very- Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, we've got about 10 minutes to go. Then at 10 o'clock, Investing Sense with Adam Bold. 11 o'clock, the KMOX. KMOX Home Improvement Show with Scott Mosby. 1 o'clock, the Rick Edelman Show. Then at 3 o'clock, the Business of Family Business with Ryan Recker. So all kinds of stuff coming up. If you do have any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. How about a soil test? You're unsure of what's going on, your plant material or whatever it happens to be, get a soil test done. Spring and fall are by far the best times, but if it's a new area, an area you're really concerned with, you can get a soil test done. The the people that do the soil testing recommend doing your soil test in the fall. Why? Because there's less of a mad rush. Everybody thinks that, you know, "Ah, it's springtime, i got to get the soil tested. But especially if you've done the same fertilizer over and over and over again on your lawn or in garden space or something like that, get a soil test done because you may find out you're doing bad harm with putting fertilizer down. Also, you're going to find out what the soil pH is and realize that lawns want a slightly acidic soil. So all those years when people kept saying, put lime on your lawn, that's what the problem is, that was totally wrong. Unless your soil pH is very acidic, then you would put lime. But how are you going to know what it is? Well, you're going to get a soil test. So it's that simple, that easy to do. Get a soil test. Uh, Oakville is where Cheryl lives. Hi, Cheryl. How are you doing? Good. Great. Thank you for doing this. Um, I had a question. We have oak galls that have sprung up all around the subdivision. What are the ramifications of that on the lawn with these insects? And I also want to do a public service. We put some insect treatment down on the lawn recently, and my little dog, a chihuahua, actually ingested and wound up quite sick. So I want to tell people, be cognizant of this when you're putting that on your lawn. The dog doesn't really have to roll in it, the vet said. All they have to do is be low enough to the ground to ingest it. So. We almost lost them, so I want to let people know to be very cautious. Yeah, you have to, I mean, be cautious for sure about anything you apply anywhere, reading the labels and all that kind of stuff for sure. And the galls, I mean, as far as on insects, you know, in the ground, nothing. They're completely different. The the wasp, you know, has very, spends no time in the ground that's, you know, that's causing these galls. So in other words, it's a small, not the classic kind of wasp or hornet or anything like that. But they virtually live in trees or they live in the air. Okay. Any treatment for the oak galls or anything we can do about there's, it? No, not really. I mean, there's not injection systems. There's a few things that are quasi-effective, but there's nothing that I can find that people like at the University of Missouri, University of Illinois, research-wise, that they're saying this is what you should do. So it's just, you know, it's a you know sort of a bad circumstance that happened to the you know the red oak group, and that's just kind of what the state of the situation is. How long do they last? Do you know? Because I've heard somewhere like it could be a couple of years. Oh no, the you mean the galls? Yes. Oh the, well, 
it depends upon less probably the gall will you know hang onto the tree for a long long time some of them but as far as the insect emerging i think it's they have one year as a larvae in that lump and then they emerge as adults and then when the adults males and females meet then you know blah 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 female lays more eggs and that's why once they're in one area they don't have a tendency unless the wind blows them to a different area they they just stay right there on those main you know in that neighborhood or even on the same trees. Okay, it's just crazy. Everybody in the subdivision's got them all yeah. of a sudden, and we've never had them in twenty five years. Right, so. it's just I mean there's some crazy stuff going on, and you just don't you don't know when it's going to pop up. Probably somebody had some, and they just didn't realize that they weren't paying that much attention to it. They just thought they were acorns or something, and then all of a sudden an explosion. Okay. I appreciate your time, and you have a wonderful weekend. Yes, you do the very same thing. And, yes, be conscious, people, if you do have pets or you do have children about anything that you put in the outdoors. I mean, anything. Phil lives in Afton. Phil, how are you today? Fine, Mike. I have a little problem in my yard with a a weed, and it looks a lot like clover, except the uh, little balls on it are uh, the topping is oblong and it's probably about a tenth the size of clover and i wondered what i could spray on that and uh should i do it in late in the fall uh or can i do it now i would say what would you use basically you use like a weed be gone type a broadleaf weed killer and spray directly onto it I always like to anytime i'm applying an herbicide i always like to either right after i mow because you open up wounds or walk on the area that you're going to actually be spraying the weed or whatever it happens to be. And it's probably going to take you a little while to get it you know, completely under control. But, uh, yeah, this is uh, the weed problem. Just read the label first as far as related to temperatures because there's probably going to be a temperature range that says once the temperature, air temperature is above this, do not spray this because you could do some major damage to other things. Okay, then what would you do if you sprayed it and as it died, would you just rake it up and then put grass seed right on you know, right on the ground? Then? No, I would probably, you know, after it's died, you're totally sure it's dead. I'd watch it really closely because it may take a second or a third application to really kill this. If you have a colony of this, you know, this particular weed, regardless of what type it is, and just, you know, make sure it's totally dead and then wait until mid to late August. That's when I would put either new seed down or sod. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate your help. Sure. Yeah, there's no reason to put seed down in the heat of the summertime. It's just too much work. I mean, it'll germinate, but then to keep it so the root systems can get into the ground to survive our heat and everything else, that is a heck of a lot of work. So Letty lives in Caseyville. Hi, Letty. How are you today? Fine. Uh, I have got knockout roses in Wilgeria, and they've grown so big and taken over my sidewalk. Can I prune them now? Uh, with the knockout roses, I mean, are they in bloom right now? Well, they had bloomed. Now they've quit, and they might start again. They need to be pruned back. Yeah, I, I mean, you can, pr- yeah, with the roses, you can prune them. Now, the way Julia, uh, I probably would have a tendency not to prune them until the weather cooled down a little bit. Because if you prune anything, when it's really hot like this, except for roses and a few other things, the stems at the end of the branches that you've cut off, you know, have been shading everything else that's closer into the center of the plant. So you may end up with a bunch of sunburn on the leaves that are, you know, that are now all of a sudden at the end of the branch. Okay. Well, I appreciate your help. Well, sure. I mean, it's it's your choice, 
But uh, I would just, you know, pruning many things in the heat of the summertime is not advised, but certainly, you know, cutting roses, you can do that. And with the roses, okay. with the knockout roses, you just don't go out there with a, let's say, a shear or a hedge trimmer or something like that. You know, hand prune them if you can. Oh, I will. Okay, great. Okay. Thank you. Yep, good luck with that. And that's for, okay. you know, for anybody, there's a whole lot of work to be done out there. But right now, the most important thing is watering. I'm going to keep harping. I did the same thing last week. It's very, very dry. Even though our house in South City, we had, you know, on Thursday, as I said, during the first hour, we had a pretty good rain. And I told Tracy when it started raining that, you know, if hopefully we'll get an hour's worth of rain. And we did get an hour. And then it stopped for a while, and then it rained again. But you got to have water that penetrates deep into the ground because that's where the root systems are. That's where the feeder roots are, not just in the top quarter or half inch or something. So light rains or light watering with a sprinkler irrigation system really don't do anything to the advantage of the plant material. It may be better for you because you, it takes a, you think, well, okay, I've done everything I need to do. But just understand that it's got to be down into the soil. It doesn't have to go down six feet or anything, but most of the feeder roots, regardless of the type of plant, are in the top 15 to 18 inches, even major trees. The tree roots that go any deeper than that, they're anchoring. They don't absorb any nutrients. They don't absorb any moisture at all. And I'm going to reemphasize this too. Leaves, whether it's grass blades, whether it's leaves on trees, leaves on shrubs or anything else, it's the nutrients and moisture that come up from the root system the trees, the leaves of the tree, shrub, or whatever, lawn, then uses sunlight with those nutrients and moisture to make food, and that's what keeps the plants healthy. So if your plants are not looking good, there's probably several different things wrong, but it may be related to the root system being dehydrated. So take care of your plants. Take care of yourself. If you're going to go outside when it's going to get hot, just be cool. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law.